an important thing that people have told me in regards to like moving up in the animation industry is that you have to tell people that you want to move up, you know, that you want to do something else. Otherwise, they'll tell you like you're you're doing a great job where you are, and then you you'll kind of stay where you are. <laughs> But when it comes to you know growing in that whatever field it is, you know, always make sure to tell people that that you want to move up. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Daniela Rodriguez de la Peña. She is a Hispanic artist working as a storyboard artist for Nickelodeon Animation. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, like Yuki said, my name is Daniela <laughs> Rodriguez de la Peña. I've been a storyboard artist at Nickelodeon for the past, well, non-consecutive four, three years, I think. I started back in wow. 2019. So, wow. yeah, four years, I guess. Uh, non-consecutive. I did have a bit of hiatuses here and there. <laughs> But mm -hmm. uh, nice. Nickelodeon technically has been the only, the only studio that I've worked at since I started in the animation industry. Oh, And wow. It. It, it, That's it, awesome. It's fun, yeah. Mm. Um, It's fun. I started back in 2018, like I said, uh, graduated from Kelsey Fullerton and with a bachelor's in animation and like oddly enough, a minor in computer science. <laughs> <laughs> Random, but it's there. Yeah, I grew up, was born and raised in Mexico, moved to the United States at the age of 11, moved all around Southern California for the longest mm. time and eventually ended up in Fullerton for college and then graduated eventually made it into Nickelodeon so and I've been there since <laughs> and it's amazing fun. I love it <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a wonderful story can't <laughs> wait to dive more into it so the way we like to start off on straight ahead is by playing a little game called in between we're going to give you two similar choices and then you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why okay Ooh. <laughs> okay <laughs> awesome all right Start us off with the first question. Would you rather compete on a reality game show like on Total Drama Island or compete in the tuning exams like in Naruto? No hesitation. It's dangerous. It's dangerous and it's like risky, but oh my gosh, I love Naruto and and yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's where I'm at. And like Maybe another reason is because I've never watched Turtle Drama Island, but ah, that's a good, it's a good show. <laughs> is it really? I've heard I've heard good things about it, but oh my gosh, Naruto! Naruto is close to my heart. So, <laughs> tune in next time, even though I'd probably die in that first trial. But very fair, you know? very fair. <laughs> well, second trial, right? Because the first one's an exam, so the first one shouldn't be too bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you, you the take second, the test first. Yeah. yeah. But it's okay. Um, I would recommend the the first two seasons of Total Drama are really good. After that, it gets you. you, you if you want to continue, you can. But uh -huh. the first two are honestly the best. Um, I love Total Drama Island. It's a such a it's a fun show. It's it's a, it's a Canadian based show, and basically the premise is that these teenagers are competing on like this live action reality show for money. Yeah. And so, but it's all, but it's all animated. So it's really funny. It gets wacky. They do the whole thing where they talk to the camera. They vote off competitors oh, and stuff. Nice. Yeah. And because like it's cartoons, they're able to push stuff like the, the host is super egotistical and like the <laughs> chef cooks really bad food. And it's like, 
they're living That's in right. such horrible conditions while the the host and the chef are living like a lavish lifestyle so it, it, nice. it, gets, it gets really funny yeah i think damn i would want a chance to win money and i've never <laughs> and i've never been to camp but i don't know if i want to go to camp what is it called lakanagua whatever the camping total <laughs> drama uh i love naruto i would love the opportunity to be a ninja but goddamn, do a lot of people die. Yes, but that's the fun. I don't think in the shooting exams specifically, but like, I'm sure some kids die. They even mentioned like people die during the yeah. shooting exams. Well, it isn't like the shooting exam is like, oh, there's also like monsters in the forest, right? Yes. Yeah. I think you could die to that. They do mention that like they kind of toned it down from past exams. So, you know, <laughs> only reason why they were almost dead is because of what's he called or tomorrow but uh mm-hmm. yeah that's what uh, i was thinking yeah but you know it, it's it's a challenge mm-hmm. <laughs> the adrenaline rush you know mm-hmm. <laughs> take a thrill seeker <laughs> <laughs> honestly no not in real life but <laughs> I, i'd do anything to be in the naruto world <laughs> to be able to do, perform jutsu that that sounds fun Mm-hmm. Like For sure. <laughs> okay, I guess I guess I have to think about what sounds more appealing to me right now: becoming a tuning, which is the reason I'm doing the tuning exam, mm-hmm. or winning what is it, a hundred grand Canadian dollars? That's not even that much. <laughs> how much? Is, how much is Canadian to American? Uh, wow. it's less. So a hundred grand yeah. would maybe be like eighty k. I think. Okay. I mean, so it would okay. still be like a, a a sum of money, but it's not like a million dollars or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think in the something. next season it's a million, but I think the first season is like a hundred k. Uh huh. The exchange yeah. rate. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And then they'll probably tax you. That's what I say. Yeah, like ah, oh, they could most likely. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, tuning then. <laughs> Yeah, risk it all. Whittled, whittled it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you think about um, it, Canadian money <laughs> and taxes, and yeah, too much effort. I'll, I'll rather be, I'd rather be coming tuning. That's that's my answer. <laughs> nice. I was thinking nice. about that too. I would also pick the tuning exams, but mostly because I can't really handle being mean to other people. Like you know, like the it's total drama, and they're trying to like. Oh, it's like a sensational reality show and they do the like confessionals and stuff. I don't think I could handle doing that. I would rather die. I would rather just fight for my life in the tuning exam, you know? <laughs> Social anxiety? No, thanks. I'll take death. <laughs> Way better option. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Next question. Would you rather be mentored by someone you knew in a past life, like Tenzin Takora from Legend of Korra, or by someone who's you from an alternate universe, like Peter B. Parker to Miles Morales from Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, that's, that's also a tough one. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> this is the hardest part of the interview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gosh. I am really curious what an alternate, you know, universe me would be like. Mm, okay. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'll go with that one. <laughs> oh, interesting. But, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Just for, for that, for the curiosity of knowing what, like, another me would be like. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess, I guess my question would be, is it like, 
are we in the setting of both of these universes? I was thinking something similar, right? Are you asking, are you the Avatar slash Spider-Man? Or are you like yeah. currently whoever you are right now? That's exactly. Like, the same thing. Because somebody that comes up to answer? me. Yeah, because somebody comes up to me saying that they're me in a past life. I'm like, you're fucking insane. Uh, <laughs> no, and- no, they, they met you in the past life. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's still insane. Uh, it'd be one of those things where like I nod my head politely and it's like, oh wow, that's great and start like walking away. <laughs> and you wouldn't do that if someone was like, I'm you from another universe. You do the same thing. <laughs> it depends how closely they look like me though. Like like it would just have to depend. I guess that's true. That's true. But okay, if if we're setting in the universes Okay, I set think... in the universe though. Let's let's say that. Okay. Christ. Both of them come with a lot of pressures. Does it does it change your answer, Daniela? Or what are you thinking? It it kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, like, yeah, in that case, yeah, yeah, I, I'd rather be taught by a mentor. Do I have to choose which mentor? Or like, is that like a set? Uh, no, it's just like, yeah, you would just okay. mean scenario where like, uh, for example, you would be the avatar being taught by somebody who knew you as the avatar in a past life. Or you're a rendition of Spider-Man and you're being taught from a different Spider-Man with maybe more experience from an alternate dimension. Yeah, different mm-hmm. spider peoples. Mm-hmm. Okay, then yeah, I I do the past life. That, past oh, life, okay. what, yeah. <laughs> nice. How Dang. about you, Ray? I still, I still honestly really hard. Like, because again, I, like I said, both of them comes with like a lot of responsibility. Like the the avatar <laughs> just comes with so much weight. It's the responsibility for Ray. Yeah, it's it is a responsibility. It's a lot of pressure. I have a lot of stuff on my plate already. <laughs> And then, like, I think being Spider-Man would be really cool. Being a mm. version of a Spider-Man would be really cool. But trying to balance that and life, like, I, I've seen, I've read the comics, I've seen the show. Like, <laughs> Peter Parker has a sad life. Oh no! <laughs> he, he, he always ends up in a cruddy apartment by himself because he doesn't have time for anybody. Okay, that's basically <laughs> my life now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm no, gonna go with Avatar. Beauty. It's yeah, luckily, luckily, I, luckily I have my wife. Luckily I have my wife, but yeah, I think I'll go with with the Avatar because I feel oh, like okay. I feel like even though they're dealing with in crisis, it seems like Avatar. Um, it seems like Aang was still able to have like a wife and kids and a calm mm. life. You know, it seems like he did. De- it seems like he deals with the big stuff. Like I don't have to worry about petty crime. Mm. That's true. So yeah, I would I would like to be taught by somebody who knew me in a past life. That is my answer. Locking that in. That's a really good point. Oh, man. <laughs> I kind of want to go with Spider-Verse because mm-hmm. I love Spider-Man noir and, and like Spider-Ham. <laughs> and I just I'm really happy that they went with such weird versions of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited to see if they bring in anyone else in the new movie. I know they kind of hinted Ooh, yeah. at what Spider-Man 99 2099 2099 yeah yeah um so that's really exciting but it's i i just really like the the variety of spider peoples that they bring into the spider verse and like to you get to meet the cartoons in real life (laughs) (laughs) that's true honestly that's Mm -hmm. a a pretty good point yeah so that would be really cool i would love to be a spider person Mm mm-hmm no, again, both options are cool. It's just it's it was hard to choose between the two. Oh, totally. Okay, well, thank you so much for playing with us, Daniela. That was in between. That was really fun. <laughs> yeah, yay. <laughs> Very hard. 
<laughs> and Good. to our audience, if you have any suggestions for future in between questions, send us a message either on Twitter or Instagram at straight ahead AP or send us an email at straight ahead podcast at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's jump into the actual interview portion of the podcast. Uh, Daniela, I want to thank you once again for being on the podcast. We're so grateful to have you on. Uh, to start off, could you tell us? The day in the life of a storyboard artist working at Nickelodeon Animation. Of course, yeah. It, it, it honestly, it for me, it's really dependent on what stage of the storyboard <laughs> process I'm on. Sometimes it's really nice and chill. Sometimes I get to sit back and just think about my thoughts, and sometimes I just have to clean up. <laughs> so it depends. You know, every production is different in the way they mm. set up their, you know, their thumbnail phase and then their, you know, actual cleanup phase. And for me, like on Rugrats and, and Santiago of the Seas, it was very different <laughs> the way oh. those two productions worked. So, yes, I had like two weeks of, uh, of thumbnails, uh, which for me are the focus. You know, I can't when it, when it comes to doing thumbnails, I don't really like I, sometimes I listen to music, um, but I can't really like watch a show in the background. You know, I have to just like focus mm-hmm. on what mm. I'm doing. So that's for me the um, the concentration part <laughs> of the process. And then mm-hmm. you know, for Rugrats, it was two weeks. So after two weeks, I would meet up with the director. They would check my notes, uh, check my storyboards, give me notes, and then I would just go for my own and do cleanups. So that's for me the relaxing part, where just like. I'm watching a show, a Netflix show in the background, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> and then I'm just cleaning up my board. It's, uh, you know, really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For Santi, it was uh, different. So I ha- got three weeks of uh, thumbnails and then three weeks of cleanup. Usually mm. it was a mi- like, oh. uh, yeah. So usually it had a week in between where we would give our storyboards to animatic and then we would get back notes sometime later. Uh, so there was some time for us to just kind of sit back and wait for the notes and and then go on to clean up. So that's mainly how it differed. But for the most part, it was the same kind of process where I would just like focus on my boards for some time and then, you know, and then go to the cleanup. And now that we're going back to hybrid, it's been really nice, you know, hanging out, sometimes going into the office and just mm-hmm. seeing people from the show particularly on Santi, because a lot of the Santi people love going to, into the office. Um, <laughs> it was really nice having that, you know, other creative people around just to kind of bounce some ideas of us when I was stuck. Yeah, I feel like it's a good balance of like work and, you know, and fun times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, it's been, it's differed from, from show to show. But yeah, that's basically what I would do and sometimes like I look up reference sometimes I spend a lot of time just like thumbnailing if I'm if I know what I what I want to do mm-hmm. and clean up always the sit back and relax and <laughs> and that's where I watch all my Netflix stuff and catch up on shows but mm-hmm. that's yeah much my <laughs> my process <laughs> and when I do whenever I do boards no that's great <laughs> and then for you like how did you first like initially break into the animation industry so it was honestly a little bit of, I like to think it's a little bit of luck and a little bit of persistence <laughs> both put together. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned before, I went to Cal State Fullerton to study 
But mm-hmm. for the longest time, when I was at Cal State, I didn't know what I wanted to do with animation. I went mm-hmm. in as a double major in computer science and animation mm-hmm. uh, with the idea that like I needed a backup plan, <laughs> you know, in case the yeah, that's didn't fair. Work. Mm, yeah, yeah. But eventually, you know, throughout the middle of it, like I met up with a counselor, and the counselor told me that I'd be in school for eight for four more years. I was already in school for four. Wow. So I'd be a total Whoa. of eight years if I wanted to do both majors. Uh-huh. So then I had to make a decision. I thought, like, what do I really want to do with my life? Because it's a lot of money <laughs> to spend in an education. A hundred percent. Yeah. So so I figured drawing has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. And if I rather do something for the rest of my life, <laughs> it would be that rather than programming, even though I, I, I really like computer science. I, I wish I could have afforded both majors. I would have done that. <laughs> but I thought art was the right thing for me. And even then, when I did switch into the animation major, just that one major, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Like a part of me just wanted to draw, but I hated taking my drawings to finish. Like I hated finishing the drawing. <laughs> and, I, and I don't like coloring as much. You know, mm. I, I have a really hard time coloring and just picking up my colors. So I didn't know like for the longest time. And then it wasn't until my second to last year at College mm. Fullerton that I took a storyboarding class. And that's kind of where I found out, like, our professor, my professor back then, Wendy Grief, she showed us this video of Brad Bird and how he does his shots in the movies that he's directed. Mm. And that's kind of where it hit me that storyboarding, mm-hmm. yeah, that storyboarding is cinema. It's not just drawing little pictures and playing out you know the animation it's literally directing you know but on paper and because i've always grown up watching movies that's what i wanted to do so when i graduated i didn't feel entirely ready to go into the animation mm. industry because i realized so mm. late in my in my college career that i wanted to do just storyboarding so mm. what i did was that summer after graduating i worked that whole summer on my portfolio just on my own time and I would apply to places. So every day I would have like a list of uh, companies that I want to work for and Mm -hmm. I would apply, go check their websites every day to see what positions they had. And if they had any, anything open, I would just apply right then and there. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of figuring out on my own, you know, but, uh, so the March after I graduated, that's when I got my first test Mm-hmm. from Nickelodeon. It was uh, for middle school moguls for a show. Wow. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, a limited, it was a limited uh, series on Nickelodeon. But yeah, I got my test. I got a, a week to do it. I worked up until like 30 minutes <laughs> from the deadline to, oh. um, <laughs> yeah, worked all the way to the deadline to turn it in. And then I turned it in and a week later, the um, production manager emailed me and asked me if I wanted to do a meet and greet with the director. And Wow. And I was there thinking like, okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I asked for a day off at my at my then job. I was an art instructor in San Diego. Um mm. yeah. And then I drove all the way to Burbank and went to the studio, visited the studio for the first time, uh, and met up with the director. And I was there like, you know, dressed for an interview. I was thinking like this is an interview, so I gotta, you know, <laughs> be ready for this. Mm-hmm. But it was surprisingly very very chill uh, he took me into his office and he's like hey do you want to see like what we're working on the show right now and mm-hmm. i'm like 
For sure. Okay. And he showed me the models. He was like, had me like over his shoulder looking at the Cintiq, like, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, so how, what's your experience? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I took a class in college. I literally said that. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> the anxiety overcame me. I was just like, I took a class. <laughs> and he's like, great. <laughs> well, then, then you'll be good as a revisionist. And I'm like, oh. And for that whole moment, you know, I couldn't believe it. It was so surreal to me that it wasn't really an interview. He just really wanted to meet me. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, he, he took me to the line producer and they gave me my rate. And that whole time I was like, I got this. <laughs> like I, I made it. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's really how it went. I, you know, like, I don't know really what it was. I like, I, I like to think that like, you know, I submitted my portfolio and then he really liked it. He, he did tell me that he really liked my test. So he got over like 70 tests. He was <laughs> looking at mm. 70 tests. And honestly, it was surprising even to me. I, I couldn't believe it until I walked into the studio for orientation. So that yeah. whole time I was just like, nah, they're going to take back their offer. This, <laughs> this is not happening. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to realize, why are we hiring this person, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. almost right out of college but yeah that's how it got started that's awesome Amazing, though, cause yeah because like, in, in their mind you're you're probably already hired they just wanted to see how you were like who you were and how you were as a person yeah it was really interesting because mm-hmm. up until transition into santi from Rugrats to santi i hadn't had mm-hmm. like an had an interview <laughs> in the animation <laughs> industry so i was <laughs> you know all this time i've been really like unprepared when it came to interviews and it's all because of that you know because when i did get started it wasn't really an interview <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it, you know a bit of a trade-off there but it was really weird and that's i guess what surprised me so much about it and like i just so surreal to me until the mm-hmm. moment that i walked into the studio <laughs> on my first day honestly that's super wonderful i'm so happy for that and one of the things I kind of also want to ask is that when you were working on Rugrats, you were a storyboard revisionist. But while on the production still, you were promoted to storyboard artist. How did you feel you were able to transition from being revisionist to a story artist while while on Rugrats? Yeah, it, I think it, it also happened because it the moments just kind of lined up. Mm-hmm. Where I was feeling very like ready to take on the the storyboard role, and and I had voice. So this is an important thing that people have like told me in regards to like moving up in the animation industry is that you have to tell people, <laughs> you have to tell people mm-hmm. that you, that you want to move up, you know, that you want to do something else. Hmm. Otherwise they'll tell you like, you're, you're doing a great job where you are. And then you, you'll kind of stay where you are. <laughs> but when it comes to, you know, growing in that, whatever field it is, you know, always make sure to tell people that, that you want to move up. So whenever I had my year reviews, I would tell them like, Oh, I want to do storyboarding one day. So, like, it would really help me if, if your notes were more thorough, or if you gave me just more things to work on, more responsibilities. So, you know, just mm-hmm. expressing that kind of thing in your reviews when you are working, or you know, even in your interview when you're barely starting, it really helps because then because they want to see you grow. They really do. <laughs> like, I, I haven't met anyone in in the industry that's you know against you growing in some way. So, yeah, for me, a position had opened up. One of the, actually, the other revisionist in my team uh, was moving on to another show. So she was oh, leaving the show. Uh-huh. And then mm-hmm. she told me, 
and I heard that and that one of the storyboards is leaving is also transferring to another show. So I took that as an opportunity to email my my supervisor at that time mm-hmm. and and let him know like, hey, I heard that there's an opposing position, and I I would really want hope to be considered for it. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he got back to me and he was like, I'm, I'm so glad that you expressed interest in this because, yeah, there has been talks of, of moving you up. So and, and that's really what set it off, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most most productions will look to promote artists into a position if, if you're up for it, if you show that you have, you know, the, the qualifications, the right qualifications mm-hmm. for uh, for whatever mm-hmm. job it is. So, yeah, it, I feel like it was a, a matter of like letting them know that I that I wanted to do that that I wanted to move up. And because I had been on the show since the start, since the pilot, I mm-hmm. think it was easy for them to just be like, oh, she knows the show and she knows the style of the show. So it's easier, <laughs> you know, to make that transition yeah. from revisionist yeah. to storyboard artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So at that point, you felt ready. You were confident enough. Like, I, I can do this role. I just need the opportunity to do it. Yeah. And I really wanted it. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I expressed it. I, I remember to express it all the time. And I'm really glad I did because I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy both, you know, I enjoy both mm-hmm. revisions and storyboarding. But I feel like storyboarding is really like I'm real, I'm learning so much even now in the in the actual role. Mm-hmm. And I've had the pleasure of having like wonderful directors working, working for great directors. So I feel like I'm learning so much. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So um, something I'm kind of curious about, at what point did you realize you were ready to move up from being a revisionist to a board artist? I feel like it was soon after I took that. I, I took so I took a class at CDA when I had mm. some downtime in the first season of Rugrats. And I was doing revision, so it wasn't as much work. <laughs> and I had enough time to just be like, oh, I can take a class and just, you know, do homework on my off time. So I took a class with Alan Wan and it was um, storyboarding mm. for TV. Uh, and I eventually went to do want to get into more like action comedy stuff. So I really wanted to take his class because of, he has got a really great portfolio of stuff he's worked on. <laughs> Rise of the TMNT yeah. is mm-hmm. also like one of my, I, I really like that show. It's great. It's fantastic. But, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I guess if I had like a dream show where I would, that I would want to work on. It's like something between like if Bryce of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Avatar the Last Airbender were to have a baby, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the dream? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I took a class with him and that's when I kind of find out like how little I knew, how like not ready for boarding I was. And um mm. and right after taking that class I'm like, okay, I have taken everything he said. And just process it in my mind and really look at it this way instead of, you know, the way I've been looking at it. So after taking that class was when I kind of knew what to focus on and what to improve on my Mm. storyboarding skills. Mm -hmm. And soon after that, I think like a few months after that, that's when I was just like, okay, I feel like I got this. That's something I'd really recommend is just taking a class, but really like Mm -hmm. take it with the goal to just like improve on yourself like really putting the time <laughs> mm. um and work on you like the skills that you need to to brush up on yeah do you think yeah. even though you work on like rugrats and santiago those are you know sort of like 
kid learning comedy shows, even though uh, it's that format, do you think that learning how to do action, is it like really comparable or is it like super different? And did that help improve your your boarding even on uh, like Rugrats and Santi? I think it's really different, but also mm. I feel like like actually working on Rugrats and Santi has done a lot to help with the action aspect of it. Mm. Um, mm. I, I feel like going into action is not something that you pull off like right when you're getting into storyboarding because there's so <laughs> many technical aspects of storyboarding that you have to, you just have to get down before you get into mm. action. So I feel mm-hmm. like, it, and if you think about it, a lot of the really great like storyboard artists that do action out there, you know, they have years and years of experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's like, and part of the reason is because, you know, you usually start with like other kind of shows before you mm-hmm. get to that, but you're learning and you're becoming a master at those like technicalities that are like just kind of the basics. And once you get mm-hmm. those down, then like action's just a lot easier because <laughs> going into action, like right at the beginning, it's kind of daunting, especially when it mm-hmm. comes to like choreography, choreographing your like action scenes, camera movements, like n- and not overdoing them. So I, I feel like it's just like another level of storyboarding that you kind of have mm-hmm. to work up to. So in that sense, working on Rugrats and working on Santi, which is also an action adventure show, but you know, to a much <laughs> and more mellow than something like yeah has really helped me work up on those basics and really you know master them before working on you know my personal projects and doing more actiony stuff mm-hmm. so yeah i, I mm-hmm. think they go hand in hand i feel like it's really good to just master those basics first and those techniques the storyboarding techniques before you know, diving into something like action, especially when you're dealing with action, fast-paced action, like Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or even, you know, something more choreographed, like Avatar of the Last Avenger. Mm-hmm. No, definitely one of those uh, learn how to walk before you can run. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something else I wanted to dive deeper into, because kind of how we're talking about this already, is that so you worked on both Rugrats and Santiago of the Seas. What were some of the differences you noticed when storyboarding on something like Santiago versus Rugrats besides drawing pirates instead of babies? <laughs> yeah, so very, very different shows. Yeah, it's crazy how different they are. And, you know, they're still, well, technically, Rugrats is not for preschool. So Rugrats is technically mm-hmm. a big kids show, right? Yeah. So in that sense, mm-hmm. it's a lot different. And I thought this would be an easy transition going from a big kids show into preschool. But it, mm-hmm. it was actually more difficult than I thought. There's a lot more like SMPs. There's a lot more notes yep. <laughs> for preschool shows that I was just not used to. A lot of we have to explain this a little more clearly because they, they, they're little kids. This is mm-hmm. preschoolers. So whenever you do something, you have to do it a little bit more clearly. You have to stage more clearly. Mm-hmm. It's mostly it was mostly that <laughs> the the difference you know between the two. Um, but mm-hmm. also Rugrats is like, especially when you're in baby mode, <laughs> in baby vision, I guess, <laughs> the world uh-huh. is very warped. So, and if you look at the original show, like the backgrounds are crazy. They're like bent. You have yeah. like, the horizon line mm-hmm. doing this. Like, it's uh-huh. like, you know, we're parabolas everywhere. <laughs> but um, yeah. 
yeah, like the perspective was warped when we were with the babies. And when we were with the adults, it was just your regular sitcom. So it was balancing the two. It was also thinking outside the box when it came to coming up with shots. Because again, it's it's babies. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's baby vision, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. So so you want to look at the world in a different way to make it feel like more a little more playful than you know what you would in a in an adult more like you know i guess adult vision i don't know (laughs) more standard yeah and when it came to santi because it was uh, an action-packed show and it was still it was still for little kids but thankfully we got a lot of freedom when it came to doing the action scene so we could just really go off and do our thing so i know a lot of the store warriors used a lot of anime reference or you know oh nice reference (laughs) like that uh but Mm -hmm. it's still trying to tone it down enough to where it's still for little kids it's still for preschoolers and and that like the technicalities of that you know it was a lot of epic camera movements Mm. a lot of thinking about the the space sometimes having to choreograph some scenes because you know there's a lot of action going on and and these sets are little like the ships <laughs> like it's crazy to think like you know that what that would become a problem but like when it comes to cg you know you have a set and you can't really change it so if you get mm-hmm. a, like mm-hmm. a small ship and you have a sword fight going on you know or something like that it's like yeah it's such a challenge <laughs> to mm-hmm. work with the space around it it's uh in those ways they're very different and they both had their own specific challenges <laughs> you know mm-hmm. but I did enjoy both of them equally in in some ways or the other, you know, like I I really love the the work on perspective, the my practice, the practice that I got on perspective on Rugrats was was great. Like throwing fish Mm eggs really became pretty good with it. (laughs) Wow. And then going more into action and going into being more careful about where I put my characters. Mm -hmm. Like I learned. So much of that on Santi and also just setting up my shots and being more creative with my camera moves. No, that's really that's really great because, yeah, I, I can see I like how you're saying how even though Rugrats is like babies, it was more adult. But like, yeah, the war perspective was really cool and must have been a fun challenge to kind of work in that space. But I totally understand when you say the whole SMP stuff because <laughs> it's a different because I'm pretty sure the parameters are different when Rugrats is 2D, but because Rugrats is also 3D now. The thing you're probably used to already is all the 3D parameters and stuff that we're like every, everything that's made costs money to yes. to build, <laughs> to model, to texture, rig if it needs to be rigged, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We can't just randomly draw stuff breaking. Yeah, uh, it has to be made to break. And like and not everything can be rigged to break. So like so many unique challenges when working on a 3D show and especially like working on a kid's show. I was going to ask with Santiago as well. Like, I don't know if you touched on it already, but dealing with water is oh. such a costly <laughs> thing. And anytime I've had an episode that dealt with water, it's like Jeez. there's so many workarounds and so many rules about it. What do they tell you to deal with water when it comes to a show like Santiago of the Seas where basically I'm assuming majority of the episodes are out at sea? Oh my gosh. You, <laughs> you're giving me flashbacks. To- <laughs> Traumatizing moments of my notes. Probably more more nightmares to my director than to me. 
because by the time I turned in my board, it was just kind of like not my problem. <laughs> but <laughs> I went over my water interactions and like all the episodes that I worked on in Santi, I think. <laughs> Especially <laughs> my first episode of Santi was like a manatee episode where like obviously there's a lot of interactions with water. The manatees mm-hmm. are coming in and out of the water. There's ships mm-hmm. on the water. And apparently like having a ship on the water that's a water interaction and we're only allowed so many per episode so i'm just like uh. how did... and then we had like the little submarine la chispa which is like santi mm. submarine and that was you know chasing bonnie's ship and then we had manatees and i was just like how is it gonna be possible like <laughs> mm-hmm. you had a limit to water interactions but like you probably have hundreds of it in this episode Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was over my water interactions on every single episode I think that I worked on, yeah. except for the last one that I did because that one like actually took place all in land, so that was nice. <laughs> but every other episode was just it, yeah, there's limits to you know to what you can do with the water. Mm, I didn't. That's yeah. <laughs> funny. I think one of my coworkers mentioned that like every like underwater episode is kind of cursed. <laughs> yeah, they and I like I didn't really ask why that was, but honestly, I feel like it's because of that. Because there's just so much more interaction, and then there's like limits to bubbles that you can do. Um, oh, interesting. Know? Yeah, oh, okay. I, like I think I got a note of that once, like you know that like I couldn't have bubbles the way that I had drawn them, or just not mm-hmm. bubbles at all. I mm-hmm. got a a fog note ones that i just couldn't do fog you know too much fog at least hmm. but yeah things like that it's so hard I, like i never i had never gotten like water interaction notes <laughs> on records <laughs> before even though i've had like episodes that deal with water or like liquids you know mm-hmm. but yeah it was something really to <laughs> to watch out for on fancy no, yeah. Yeah, water simulation gets really expensive, which is why when I see some movies that deal with so many crazy water stuff, I'm like, ah, oh, they must have a large ass budget to be able to <laughs> yes. do this. Because, yeah, like even on Gremlins season two, we dealt with a lot of water. And even then we were like, we couldn't make complex shapes. So we okay. the, sh- the shapes had to be simple. Again, if we showed the water, we show a shot of the character, a <laughs> shot of the water, and then we show them diving into the water, but we don't show the shoreline. So that way you just kind of hear the water. You you show it, you give the information, but you actually don't show it. Like the thing we always try to avoid is that we we they kept telling us that we can't have characters be half out the water and half inside. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the interaction. That, yeah. That with the water Money. Yeah. yeah. Unless it was like really, really far away. Like we can have a shot where like there was a boat or some kind of boat in the water, have that one shot, and then the rest of the time have the camera be closer and above the water line because we already showed that they were in the water and uh-huh. but under for us underwater was okay we were allowed to do little bubble effects and stuff but okay under them being underwater was actually a lot easier than them being half and half because half and mm. half is something that we were not allowed to do just because of the penetration yeah and the and the, the simulation interaction but yeah yeah when i was thinking when, when i was like thinking back to santiago he's like god damn i wonder what their parameters were it's, for water because yeah. i know water is such a pain in the butt <laughs> it is yeah and actually I, I don't know how many water interactions we got per episode like how many we were allowed to do but apparently mm-hmm. like every character sticking out of the water was counted as one 
you know, I think. Because uh, because a, a simulation has to have both for every single one of them. I yeah, get that. Exactly. Yeah, that's dumb. I mean, that's that's hard. Yeah. And in and, and that particular episode where you have like a chase, you know, ships and submarines chasing each other and, and you have mm-hmm. multiple manatees and then mm-hmm. you have a net. Also, oh, the net. <laughs> like <laughs> I had a net in that episode. So like Bonnie is like using a net to catch like sea from the from the sea. So the way that the net would go into the water was also like a problem. Oh, God. Yeah, the net couldn't move, like would only be able to move a certain way. And, you know, bringing it in and out of the water can't really show that or would just have to like, you know, cut it to it being outside or cut to it being inside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And that was the first episode that I worked on Santi. So I was just like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my director had like just a nightmare with that episode just because, you know, I was not aware of all these parameters when it came to water. So I just went and did my thing, you know. Eventually, you know, they managed to work with it. But and they told me this after like every episode that has like ships and all these things gets mm-hmm. notes for going over the water interaction so you're good i'm like okay yeah that makes me feel better <laughs> yeah it's not just you yeah mm-hmm. so one of the other things i kind of also want to ask uh is that you moved to the u.s at age 11 that you were mentioning what was kind of like the initial kind of culture shock for you moving um moving to the u.s at that you know an age like what were some of the challenges for you like kind of moving to a new country i think really the biggest challenge was the language I, mm. it's funny because I, I talked to it not too long ago with my mom because um, my mom had me in like after school like English classes in Mexico mm. oh in Mexico to, yeah yeah when I was like in school in Mexico and she asked me uh, like a month ago she's like did those ever help I'm like no <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it did not prepare me at all for what I was you know to find out like later on when I finally moved uh-huh so yeah, no, I, I didn't, I couldn't understand a thing. <laughs> I remember I very, like, I learned the word octopus <laughs> back in school in Mexico. And that was <laughs> stuck to me so much that I'm just like, that's the one word I know in English, octopus. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, everything else, it was hard because I moved to India, which is not too close to the border, but thankfully oh. still has like some population that's uh hispanic or knows spanish so i did have out of all my teachers one teacher that could it was able to communicate with me in spanish mm-hmm. and then in my other classes i would just have classmates sometimes sometimes because not all the time some classmates would be able to would know spanish and they would help me out mm-hmm. but i think for me that that was the hardest part of moving also i guess just in general like the school setup is so different here in the u.s like you go to school yeah like in mexico at least for elementary school Mm -hmm. you go to school from 8 to 12 that's back then oh wow these days it's more like a short time yeah but back then it was a short day and i was out of school at 12 and i was just able to watch cartoons (laughs) and do homework (laughs) after 12 and be done very early you know Mm. but here when i found out that i wasn't getting out of school till like two or three, I was just like, what? What am I going to do in school all day? Like, that's <laughs> a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> to be mm-hmm. at school. And then, I, like, it took a while for me to get used to that format. But eventually, you know, I got the hang of it. And I think because I was so far from the border and really had no, like, chances to just speak Spanish, 
you know, with any of my classmates, with any of my teachers that helped me mm-hmm. learn it faster, learn English faster. And also like cartoons, because I watched so much cartoons when I was in Mexico and I like I knew the dialogue in, in Spanish. So when I would watch mm-hmm. it in English here in, in the U.S., like I, <laughs> I, kinda, I knew, you know, I knew what they were saying. And I was yeah. just like, oh, so mm-hmm. that's how you say it in, in English. You know, mm. so in a sense, like, yeah, a lot of the cartoons that I watched um, helped me with the language. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, like, I lived so close to the border when I was in Mexico that to me, mm-hmm. culturally, like, it wasn't too bad. Like, you know, it, like, there were a lot of differences, but it was a lot of the same thing. And there was a lot of mm-hmm. Spanish speakers. So mm-hmm. thankfully, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too crazy, but still pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. Just so mostly mm-hmm. the language. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of being thrown into deep water, you know. Mm. <laughs> you don't understand. It took me a while. Like I would understand when people would tell me, but when it came to like reading and you know, like just reading books, like I mm-hmm. don't feel like I read all of the Harry Potter books, but I feel like I would have to read them again just to like get the whole thing, you know, get the whole thing. Because mm-hmm. I only got like just of what they were saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess something I'm curious about, like, uh, what was the reason for your family moving from Mexico to the U.S.? So my mom was a permanent resident and she wanted us, <laughs> you know, to have that benefit, that privilege, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. We were going to school she, and she's a teacher there. She knows, mm-hmm. I guess, to some extent, she knew that, like, for us in Mexico, that we didn't really have that much opportunity when it, as, when it came to, you know, going to school, when it came to getting mm-hmm. an education. And she knows just how competitive it is to even go into, like, a good school. So I think that that's part of the reason why. Because she actually, it's funny, because she promised my brother and I that we would be back in Mexico after, like, a year. But that never happened. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like, I feel, like, very grateful that she let us stay here. But she didn't mm-hmm. just like, okay, we're going back. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Just because I do feel like if I was going to school in Mexico and if I had done my college there, I, I wouldn't have been an artist. Definitely mm-hmm. not. <laughs> it's very limited. Like, thankfully, now I feel like it's changing for a lot of people and for a lot of students in Mexico. Like, they have more access mm-hmm. to these careers, but mm-hmm. there's still not a lot of opportunity in terms of employment which hopefully it's it's growing i know that it's growing but it's not quite there yet mm-hmm. but back then for me i don't feel like i would have had a chance to even consider <laughs> a career in art yeah i feel like really she saw it coming you know <laughs> <laughs> she knew that like if we wanted a good education and wanted to get ahead with that we would have needed to seek it out here in the united states that's wonderful, though. I'm happy that your mom was able to provide the opportunity for you and your sibling. Yeah, I'm very mm-hmm. grateful. Like, not a lot of people, get, you know, have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really thankful that she did. Yeah. And one of the other things I kind of want to dive into as well is that how do you feel like your cultural background influences you and your art? Hmm. Honestly, it's kind of interesting because I grew up with... It's, TV programming in Mexico is so varied that I kind of like grew up from when I was very little. Like I grew up with like a lot of anime. I grew up mm-hmm. with a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, American shows, shows from all over the place, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, cartoons, 
it never had a like meta connection like that to specifically to my culture. Mm-hmm. I feel like now that I'm working in the industry, I get to bring that in to it. So mm-hmm. in that sense, like I feel like can being connected to like all these different cultures when I was little kind of mm-hmm. like inspired me and it has driven me like more so in the past few years to do something that's more that pertains more to my culture. So in that sense, like I am really grateful for, you know, for my introduction into like anime and to American cartoons <laughs> when I was very little. Because even though even though I didn't have any cartoons that really spoke to like particularly my culture, although mm. like, you know, they they did have Mucha Lucha eventually mm-hmm. and they did have El Tigre, which were really mm-hmm. nice to see and good to watch. But I'm still grateful for all those other shows that got me into the industry so that I could, you know, bring the culture into it yeah so yeah i'm hoping that if i ever become a showrunner that if i ever create a show that that i will be able to put more of my culture into it particularly i really like stuff like my industry that explores you know the Mm -hmm. pre-hispanic era so hopefully one day (laughs) you know i'll be able to do something like that and just recently actually i took a trip to to cancun and i visited like mayan ruins and stuff it's amazing and i'm like i came back with so much knowledge and it's just you know something that i i want to share and i want to just incorporate it and somehow into my art into my work so yeah maybe one day yeah Mm. it's really wonderful i think a lot of those doors are kind of opening up yeah with with the development of yeah more um not just saying like that you know latino or mexican culture exists anymore mm-hmm. i feel like we're moving past that phase and going into like a oh reimagining these old folklores or like something completely new like maya and the three where it's like incorporating a lot of the aesthetic but you know it's its own its own story um yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm glad that that's happening and i'm sure that in the future once you run a show <laughs> that it'll be available to you yeah yeah well thank you for joining us today before we get into our final question is there anything you would like to promote and where can our audience find you yeah so when it comes to promoting watch santi <laughs> it's very yeah. if you have it like if you know kids or you know honestly if you are just in for like Fanti has great graphics for being a preschool show. I'm the, honestly surprised. But if, you know, if you're up for it, like, watch it. And also, like, Rugrats 3 would. I, I swear, it, like, it, it's so like the original. You know, yes, mm. the CG is different. It takes a little while to get used to. But the humor, the comedy is there from the original. Both shows mm-hmm. are great. <laughs> I'm totally biased, maybe. But but no, these are great shows. And yes, if you have time for them, definitely go give them a watch. They're both on Paramount Plus. I think Santi just got put on Netflix, so that's awesome. Woo. Yeah. But yeah, go and watch those. When it comes to social media, um on Instagram as at Danny Rod Art or Danny Rod Arts, I think. It's either one. <laughs> Danny Rod Art. <laughs> I think so on Twitter. Twitter is Danny Rod Art. And Instagram is Danny Rod Arts with an S. Uh, an S. Okay, yeah. And yes, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. And as we come to a close, is there any final advice you would want to bestow on those who want to pursue a career in animation? Gosh, um, I guess, and this is something that I 
because I've been doing mentorship for Rise Up Animation. Something that I oh, that's wonderful. Tell, yeah, it's it's great. I, I love doing it. Something that I always tell like mentees is to really put in the effort when it comes to like getting the education right. So like if you are going to school for animation, even if you're not going to school for animation and you're seeking animation knowledge through other sources, because there's so many online out there right now, Mm -hmm. really get in the zone and really learn what you have to learn. You know, like it's so easy to go into school and just be like, oh, I'm just doing this for the grade, you know, or just getting sidetracked and being like, oh, I need the A. So I'm just going to (laughs) do whatever. It was hard for me personally as a student to get into the idea that like this is like I'm paying for this so that I can make this my career so that I can, you know, go into. And I don't know if it's because I just didn't know. I, I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with art at that time. But realizing that what I wanted to do really drove me into like, OK, this is what I need to learn and this is how I'm going to get there. So if you know what you want to do, like really putting the effort into learning it and really, you know, give it your all. And if you mm. don't know, then choose, cl- if you're in school, then choose classes that you're genuinely interested in, that you really mm. want to learn from. And that goes not just for art, you know, that goes for whatever you're doing. <laughs> but really, that's what's going to just shape you as whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. So it's really just like, uh, you know, if you have to teach yourself some things, like do it, but really put in all the efforts when it comes to seeking an animation to seeking just any career, honestly, mm-hmm. what's it called? And take an internship. Don't leave school with a, <laughs> doing an internship. And just in general, if you, if you can do an internship, do it. That's a great mm-hmm. way to get experience in mm-hmm. any field. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, if you enjoyed our interview with Daniela today, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. Shout out to Brandon Mendoza, no relationship, for suggesting Daniela <laughs> as a guest. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love to discover new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itleong. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Redier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me here. Hey. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hey.